Michael Groff Show. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. Here in America, we don't tolerate that kind of crap, sir. The Michael Groff Show. Now the only thing anybody's going to remember me for after I die is being that blind guy. Zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You couldn't open a French whore's legs with a wheel of cheese. So if you're confused about what I'm saying... Listen very carefully. I quit this bitch. Michael Graff. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? Because you know I've updated it to include all white guys who add Izzle to anything. Screw charity. Man, and you know, I pledged $50 to stop diabetes, and then I found out that there's still diabetes. And I'm, I'm like, what? Man, talk about a ripoff. Zip code famous. Michael Graff show. There's an old saying in Tennessee that says, fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. A theologist might refer to him as a practical joke from God. A sociologist may refer to him as the voice of reason in a cesspool of humanity. While a philosopher may find him to be the ill-advised punchline to the universe. Or maybe that's a punching bag. Whatever. But of course, you know him as the host of the Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. My God. Does this feel strange? <laughs> Oh, I, I don't even know what to do here. I, I think I'm supposed to just start talking and we just talk for an hour or two or something like that. I think that's how I used to do this. Hey, welcome in. It is the zip code famous Michael Grav show. And that means, well, by process of elimination, I am Michael Grav. Thank you so much for checking us out. It's only been, what, 18 and a half months since I've done a show. No big deal. I'll get the hang of it. It's like riding a bike. You never really forget how. You just have to kind of get your balance, get everything back on, get your equilibrium back. A lot has changed, though, since I've been gone. So much is different. I mean, right now, look, we have about $16 trillion in debt, so we're still in debt. We have uh, deficit spending going on. Obama's in the White House. Um, got teachers on strike. We have two wars happening. Wait, all that was going on before I left. I haven't been gone that long, I guess. The more things change, the more they stay the same, I suppose, is the, is the way to look at that. All right, obviously the 6,000-pound elephant in the room is what the hell happened to me? Where was I? It's been 562 days since my last show, but I mean, really, who's counting? Because today is Monday, September 10th, 2012. And uh, I, I have been gone for a little bit. I was on uh, sort of a hiatus. Um, I, I guess, you know, before we really get into anything, before we get into a lot of stuff, uh, first of all, it's good to be back. I want to say that. It's this is one thing that definitely feels very familiar. I mean, in an in a unfamiliar sort of way, because I haven't done it in so long, but to be sitting behind this microphone again, talking to you, sharing, getting stuff off my chest, just basically ranting. 
doing it what it is that we do on this podcast. I mean, that's um, that feels normal. That's for sure. Or at least it will by the time, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes in, it'll feel all right. I, right now, I do feel a little bit discombobulated, I got to tell you. I, I feel weird. Well, first of all, there's there's a thunderstorm raging outside right now. Um, so there's, there is that, which, you know, in and of itself is unusual. Yes, I am here in the beautiful desert southwest, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, to get into what happened, I, I know people speculated I was dead, I was gone, uh, I had left. I, um, I don't know, what, what, all, what, what were the things I heard? I married a porn star. Uh, what were the other things? I uh, I won the lottery and I just said, screw you people. Believe me, if I won the lottery, you would have known all about it. It would have been publicized everywhere. I would have made sure that everybody knew exactly what happened. And the, the appropriate people that would have uh, been, you know, stood to uh, get some cash out of me would have. And a lot of people would have gotten a big F you. A big middle finger made out of $100 bills that I would have posted. Uh, no, I, I did not. None of those things happened. So here's... Just to summarize very quickly, and I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get heavy about it. But um, I left uh, in April of 2011. I left Phoenix, Arizona. I went to Florida for the better part of a year. Um, there were a lot of personal things going on in my life at the time. And uh, I I just, I said, I quit. I get up, I, I left. And um, and, and I, I went off and uh, had some adventures, had some fun. Um, you know, had... Uh, just had some things going on in my personal life. I, again, I'm not, I don't really want to get into it too detailed, but just to say that I was gone. It was, it was, uh, it was an interesting time in my life and uh, certainly um, had some great times, had some bad times, had some fun, um, you know, and, uh, and then I came back um, earlier, you know, uh, just before the start of the summer and uh, I've been back ever since. And you might say, well, why, why didn't you just get right back and jump right into the podcast and all that? Listen, it was very difficult. I mean, the whole thing has been very difficult to get everything back and adjusted and feel somewhat normal again. And uh, now I, I do. I uh, certainly feel like I'm capable of doing this show again in, in hopefully the way I, I did before. And actually, hopefully I'm able to do this even better than before. And give you an even better show than we ever had. And uh, introduce some new things and new features. You know, I started doing this show. Um, September 20th of 2000 was the very first ever syndicated version of the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Um, it was, you know, before that I used to do it, uh, locally when I, when I first started running my internet station, I did it, you know, there. And before that I was doing it on cassette for like 10 people. But, uh, I started, uh, the version of the show that you know now, I started in September of 2000. And uh, for, for the most part, off and on, mostly on, for the last 12 years now almost, I've been doing this show. And when I first started doing this show, it was really an opportunity uh, to divest myself of what was on my chest. Really, it was just a, it was a means of just getting things out there. My, my political thoughts, my thoughts on various sociological issues, uh, my personal anecdotes, and just things I wanted to rant about, just things I saw, things that were happening and I just, I don't know, it was just, it felt natural and normal just to do that kind of a thing. Um, it was sort of a, a more masculine version of a journal. And it was really just, a, I was inviting people, whoever gave a crap, I was inviting them into my world. And then I really 
took this show and I sort of made it about the listeners and uh, anybody could really share their experiences and stuff. And, you know, it was just sort of a just sort of a loose knit kind of thing. And over the years, you know, the show evolved and we got a little bit more political, I guess. And, um, you know, had some um, had some joy and some laughs and some tears and all sorts of stuff on the air over the years. And uh, that's really where it's been. And now I'm back and hopefully we will be doing this on a very regular basis. I, I really want to. Um, I look back over the old shows and I know that uh, things were somewhat infrequent at times. And that was really a function of a lot of the stuff that was happening in my life then as well. And uh, I hope that we can uh, dish this out most, if not every you know weekday, we can uh, sort of do a podcast um, and, and keep that going for you. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I can't guarantee that, but I'm going to do my very, very best to ensure that we do that because it, it means a lot that anybody would stick around and care about this show enough to listen to it. It's very humbling. It's very humbling to think that anybody really cares about my thoughts. And I know that whenever you have any and anything that you want to share, I would be more than happy to read it and, and get into it because it's, it's to me, this has always been your show just as much as mine. And um, I know, you know some radio guys do, the, Hey God, this was your show, bad. This and I really mean it. I'm very sincere about that. I, uh, I couldn't have continued to do this show without the outpouring of support and uh, the care that people have shown over the years. And uh, so I, I, I hope that I can be just as entertaining as always. And, um, you know, as for uh, what went on the, the last uh, 562 days, well, uh, you know, hey, <laughs> There, there it is. Uh, a lot of, lot of stuff, you know. Just living life, and that's really what it is. And um, I'm sure there will be occasions where we'll probably delve into some of that stuff. Listen, I spent, I've got a lot of anecdotes. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Believe me, I spent a, you know, a year in Florida, so there's, there's a lot to talk about there. And, and I want to say, listen, uh, Florida. Aside from the old people, which you know makes up a majority of the population. Aside from the old people, it's really not that bad there. You know, it's not a terrible state. Aside from the old people and the tropical storms and the hurricanes, um, you know, and, and the fact that they have Governor Rick Scott. Okay, aside from that, which I know sounds like most of the state, but aside from that, it's really not a bad place. It really isn't. I'm serious. It's very, very beautiful there. They did not have a winter. Um, that's one thing I, I have established that there's there's no there's no winter in Florida. I mean, and I know I live in Phoenix, but even here in the desert, we have cold days in the winter. Days where, you know, there's actual cool temperatures. You walk outside, you're like, whoa, it's 45 degrees outside. It's 35 degrees. It's actually cold out. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't last for forever, but uh, at least that happens. It doesn't happen there. I don't know. It's no winter. At least there wasn't last year. It was one of the warmest winters on record. And I know what that means. I know that means the global warming folks are out there telling you... These are the consequences. I heard that all summer. I've heard it for the last 562 days. That's really why I needed to get back on the air. I, I was just bursting, ready to just explode with all of the stupidity and the mind-numbing crap that I have had to endure over the last year and a half that I could not share with you people. So anybody that's left in my personal life 
that still talks to me. And that, that's not many people. But the few people that still do talk to me, I chew their ear off constantly with, with these, just with all this nonsense. All right, we do have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of current things. Look, while I was gone, a bunch of, like, Whitney Houston died. Um, who, so many people died while I was gone, actually. Osama bin Laden was killed. Um, and you know, the conspiracy theorists are out and there's a book out now that he wasn't really killed. Maybe he was killed back in 2002 when we've had his body in a freezer. I don't know. The Alex Jones types like to tell you that, uh, other people say that when we went after his compound, we really, we were just blowing him up. We didn't really care uh, if we got him or not. It was just a, um, we thought he was there. So we just decided to kill everybody and, and, you know, ask questions later. I don't know. There's uh, a lot of stuff coming out about that. And certainly maybe we'll get into a little of that. But um, I'm not going to rehash everything that went on. I'll just talk about what's going on now. And you know, I came back just in time for a presidential election. Oh, lucky, lucky me. I came back for my favorite part of the four-year cycle that is presidential politics. Thank God there's only what? Like 50, was there 57 days left, I think? Something like that. 57 days till the election. Um, oh, I mean, thank God, because I, I could not endure doing this show for 10, 11 months, having to break down the, the upcoming election. As it is, I'm going to try later on in the show, I am going to try and address uh, the, the general listening audience here and the American people and try and talk some common sense into you as to getting rid of this ridiculous binary Blue, red, one, zero, Democrat, Republican, you know, D versus R, us versus them, left versus right mentality. Because, frankly, uh, neither choice is worth a damn. And as, the faster that the American people realize that, the sooner that you get it into your heads, the better off this country is going to be. And I'm going to save that. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But I do want to talk about that. I want to talk about the election, the upcoming stuff. We got poll numbers out right now. According to the latest polls, the, the Gallup polls, I have the CNN, uh, USA Today, the Gallup poll, the uh, Fox News poll. I mean, most of them still show Barack Obama with a lead. But the lead is not quite as, as substantial as it was. You know, he was up to nine points. Obama had as much as a nine-point lead in the Fox News poll. Uh, the Gallup poll had him ahead by seven. And now uh, the majority of them show about 48 to 45, 47 to 45. He's Mitt Romney is pretty much right about within the margin of error. So there's certainly right. He's right there knocking on the door anywhere from three to five points behind uh, Barack Obama right now. So that's about where the poll numbers are. All right, we have the teacher strike that's going on in the Chicago area. That has dragged on now and uh, to its, well, it's about to go into its second day. Um, it's, it's dragged on because we knew it was coming. It's been advertised. People have been talking about it coming for weeks and weeks now. And it's finally here. And apparently uh, the teachers of the city of Chicago, uh, a 16% pay increase wasn't enough to get them to persuade them to go back to work. Uh, getting most of what they were asking for actually wasn't enough. I do agree with them on, on one point, and that is they want smaller class sizes. We're certainly going to talk about the teacher strike as well coming up in the show. Got a lot to get into as far as that goes. So, yeah, we got to break that down. Man, this is so weird. This is, I, I have to, this just feels so strange. I'm sitting here and 
I'm I'm back behind this microphone. I, I really am happy to be here. I just um, I, I there's so much I want to talk about. There's stuff that's so dated, and not I know that you really don't care and you really don't want to hear about it. But there's there's a lot going on. Oh, speaking of unions and speaking of strikes, so the NFL. Any of course you watched Week One of the regular season of the National Football League, right? All right. Well, if you did and you saw what went on. Um, you know that they're still using those replacement officials. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If anybody watched the debacle that was the Seattle Seahawks-Arizona Cardinals game on Sunday, you know the damage that these replacement officials are doing. If I'm the NFL, if I'm Roger Goodell, I've picked up the phone yesterday, and I'm calling the head of the officials, and I'm saying, whatever you guys want, you get it. You've made your point. We've we've got the scab officials. They're terrible. They are ruining the game. And I know I've read I've read a bunch of comments. Some fans are going, "Well, I don't really notice that the problem here. I don't see you know the 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 scab officials. They look like they're doing a good job. They are. I haven't really noticed. No, they're doing a terrible job. Not every game. Some of the games were so lopsided that I don't care if you had the worst officials in the history of mankind out there. They couldn't blow all the calls in those games. All right, so yes, there is that. But in any game that was really close, there were big calls, and some of them were just missed across the board. And I'm telling you, that Seattle-Arizona game was really the, the worst of them all. And, you know, it was showcased nationally just how, how screwed up the officiating was in there. First of all, the officials gave the Seattle uh, Seahawks four timeouts. There was a, uh, a sequence in there where... About three plays ran off the clock with about four minutes left to go in that uh, Seahawks-Cardinals game where the, the clock never started. The clock was never running. The officials either just forgot to run the clock or they, they didn't see it or something went on where the clock was not running. That actually happened in that game also. But these officials, I knew it was bad when I was watching in the preseason. And the official screwed up the coin toss. And I remember there was a regular official that did the same thing. There was, you know, the regular officiating crews years ago. Phil Luckett screwed up the coin toss too. But this was really bad. Like, the official actually forgot what the player called before he threw the coin. When he threw, he threw the coin in the air, he turned to the player. What'd you call again? He, you know, the player probably looks down. Well, I call heads. Well, oh, look, it's heads. <laughs> I mean, that, that went on. But to not know how many timeouts are left, it's counting to three. And what we're saying is these replacement officials can't even count to three. There were weird pass interference calls. There was weird. There was a weird offsides call. There was a bunch of weird calls just in that Arizona-Seattle game alone that made you sit there and go, this, this is what we have to look forward to for the rest of the season? These replacement officials, these scab officials? Holy God. Unlike the Chicago teachers' strike, the officials the, in the NFL, the referees, you know what they're asking for? This is all they're asking for. A 6 to 8% pay increase. And the NFL wants to take away their pension. They want to be able to keep a pension. They want to have a pension plan. That's it. That's what they're really fighting over. That's the, the, the sole things that are left on the table that the NFL, a multi-billion dollar industry 
cannot seem to pony up the few extra bucks to give these officials a 6 to 8% pay increase and to give them a pension. The players get a pension. Oh, sure, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty minuscule, which, by the way, is you know, worked out by the Players Association. But the collective bargaining agreement between the officials and the NFL, all they want is a 6 to 8% pay increase and they want, some, uh, they want a pension. They don't make, you realize these officials, they don't make anything. They make what, uh, what, $80,000 a year, something like that. These guys have jobs. Most of the officials have jobs during the week. Some of them are lawyers. Some of them are uh, umpires in like minor league baseball or, or, you know, whatever. They have various jobs. I mean, some of them, nine to five jobs Monday through Friday. And then they fly out on the weekend and they fly home. And so this is how they make a few extra bucks during the NFL season. And you can say, well, being an NFL official, it's not that hard a job. Listen, you have to know all the rules. You're out there. You're, you're inches away from 300-pound guys running at full speed at each other. You could get plowed over at any point. You, you have to have lightning-fast reflexes and be able to watch the game at the same time and be able to know the rules and know what's happening. And I know you're only really working about three hours a week, but your every decision you make is impacting a billion, a multi-billion dollar industry. You have the scrutiny of the fans, coaches, and players raining down on you and guys on TV and just everybody constantly. They're always watching you. So it is a tough, high-pressure job. Being an official, whether it's an umpire in Major League Baseball or official in, an N- in the NBA, NHL, or NFL, that's a tough job. I don't think asking for a 6 to 8% pay increase is at all unreasonable. I mean, hell, most companies will give you a 3 to 5% annual cost of living increase. They just do that. I mean, that's, that's very standard. So I don't see what the dispute is. With these officials in, in the NFL, I don't think they're being at all unreasonable. I don't think their union is being unreasonable. Unlike the teachers union in Chicago, I don't find any of their demands unreasonable. I can freely admit I'm not generally a union guy, but I am all about reasonable. And if I feel that a workforce is demanding something that is pretty reasonable, then I, I think they have every right to to do so. And Listen, I, I'm not one of these people that believes that unions should be outlawed or they should be banned. It's just, I think that when you start asking for things like a 6% pay increase in a pension, there's nothing wrong with that, especially from the NFL, a multi-billion dollar company that underpays you anyway. When you're a teacher in the Chicago school district, and we're going to get into this later, but you make the most money of any school district. You make the most money of any teacher in any state, in any school, uh, and, and you're and you're offered a 16% pay hike over that, and you say, yeah, you know what, man? Nah. I, I start to, I can see why there's a lot of people that don't think you're being reasonable. They don't think that your, you know, your demands are in step with everybody else. People want to be able to relate to your problems and your hardships. They can understand you going on strike if there's a good reason for it. Whether you're a union guy or you're not. People are able to understand something that they can relate to. And I think that's part of the problem with the current presidential election is that neither candidate is at all relatable. And I think that's really the, the j- nature for sort of the disenfranchisement, the, the sort of uh, people, the reason that people are so disenchanted with what's going on right now is because you can't really relate 
to the uh, the trials and tribulations of either party and either candidate. But you can certainly, at least to some extent, understand a guy that wants a 6% pay increase. And you can understand a teacher wanting a smaller class size. Look, again, we'll get into it. We also have the Michael Grav Show stupid news file. And believe me, it doesn't matter how long I'm away from this show. There's always going to be stupid news to talk about. There's enough to make its own show about it. Trust me, we have a lot to get into. So I will... Um, <laughs> I'll try to squeeze some of it in. Actually, we have uh, stupid news from a Democratic congressman. He makes the stupid news file. And, and I got to say, this is one of the dumber stories I've heard from Congress in a while. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I can't even believe this. So we'll talk about that. Oh, and look, the movie industry, the box office results are in. And uh, this was a very, very disappointing summer. One of the worst performing summers in movie history. I can't imagine why. Could it be because Hollywood continues to produce a bunch of crap? I don't know. Predictable garbage. Also, I'm going to try my best to appeal to you, the American people, coming up. There's got to be an alternative to this DR binary Obama Romney crap. The zip code famous. Michael Graff Show. MichaelGraff.com Doing good now. Things just got worse. I'm drunk again. I swear this present is just a curse. Well, I got here by killing off all my friends. I think I figured out my life. When fun ends, I got my wings I'm free to go as I With segment number two. Ah, this feels, this is starting to feel better and better, I gotta tell you. It's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Graff Show is our screen name. And of course, for all, all other matters Michael Graff related, you know the one, the only, Michael Graff.com. Yeah! I really must do this. I try to do this every four years. I mean, I do this even more regularly than that, but I, I try to really, during the presidential elections, I try my best to appeal to the American people, plead with you almost, beg you to do something that is actually for your best interest. And I really think it would benefit you if you actually paid attention this time, especially with so much at stake. And I've been thinking about this for some time, and I knew I was going to talk about this when I started doing a show again. And maybe I, I'm sure that I will bring this up again before 
the uh, the the big election in November. But I, I really have to appeal to you right now. And I guess the best way I can start this off is many of you, most of you in this country are going to vote for one or the other. You're going to vote for either Mitt Romney or Barack Obama. And I guess my question to you is, whichever one of those two you decide, my question is, why? And before you just knee-jerk reaction and you start with your talking points from your party, I really want you to think about this. And I really want you to be a little bit introspective and say, why? And the next question, the follow-up is, what has your party done for you? What has your party done? Don't talk about the other guy now. What has your party done for you in the last five years, in the last 10 years, in the last 15 years? And really, be honest about it. Don't just drink the Kool-Aid. Don't just sit there and spew the talking points about the good things that you're, they've done. I want you to you know, think about it. Even write it down if you have to. List the pros and cons that your party has done or contributed to during the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And then once you've got that list, you'll, you'll of course inevitably come to the conclusion that the cons far outweigh the pros and sit there and think to yourself, do I really want to vote for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney when I step into that voting booth? Is that something I really want to do? And I have maintained for many years now that there is very little difference between the Republicans and the Democrats in this country. And I know the reaction is always going to be, oh my God, Mike, of course, there's a huge difference. It's a completely fundamental difference. Yeah, the party platforms are very much different. The things that they write down on paper, the ideals that they have are very much different from one another. Or at least they are today. But, what they actually do when they get into power, the things that they do, the way that they execute things, they're very much the same. And if you don't believe me, just look at what we've had over the last 10 or 11 years. I mean, tomorrow is the anniversary of 9-11. I hate to even use the word anniversary. It almost gives it a, a happy connotation. But it is the, the commemoration. It is the 11, year, 11 years to the date since 9-11. And not only that, but the creepy part is it's a Tuesday. And 9-11-2001 was also a Tuesday. But uh, it, it'll be 11 years. And think about what's happened in this country in the last 11 years. All right. You've had basically two terms of a Republican president, almost a full term of a Democrat president. You've had a Democrat-controlled Congress. You've had a Republican-controlled Congress. And here's what has happened in that time. A Republican president started a war with Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, a Republican Congress initiated the Patriot Act. Actually, the Patriot Act was signed unanimously by the Senate, 99 to nothing. So both parties passed the Patriot Act. A Republican president brought us to war. A Democrat president continued both wars. And not only did he continue the wars when he said that he would stop them and when he voted against them in the first place, but he actually sent 30,000 more troops to Afghanistan shortly after taking office. So both parties are warmongers, all right? Both parties get us into these wars, these trillion-dollar wars. And it seems that everybody is so opposed to them. I mean, the Democrats are so opposed to them, yet their leader, their fearless leader, the hope and change man himself, Barack Obama, 
continued the two wars that we're in and got us involved with Libya when they were blowing up, when they uh, had uh, got rid of Muammar Gaddafi. And now everyone is saber-rattling about Iran. That's what the two parties have got us on war. Both parties spend like crazy. During the Bush administration, spending was out of control. The, the national debt went from roughly $5 trillion to about $11 trillion under the Bush administration. The Republican House of Representatives, now the House of Representatives, as you may well know, writes the budget. They control the checkbook for the United States. So they spent like crazy, like drunken sailors. And then the Democratic House of Representatives took over in 2006 to 2010, and they spent like crazy. There was a change in the White House. Barack Obama comes in, and right away, he's spending like crazy. And now our national debt is about $16 trillion. And our yearly deficit in this country, we are spending at, a, at an insane deficit. What is it? Uh, a $4 trillion deficit that we're looking at or $3 trillion, $3.7 trillion deficit coming up in the, in the next year. I mean, it's insane. Both parties spend like crazy. The Democrats, they put in these, these entitlement programs, these health care reforms and all this stuff. The Republicans start the domestic spying program. And then when the Democrats get into power, do you think they get rid of it? No. In fact, they embolden it. They strengthen it. So your civil liberties are being compromised. Your country is being compromised. Your military is being sent out into war by both parties. You're being taxed. Your money is being just spent recklessly earmarks and pork barrel spending by both parties. One tries to point the finger at the other. One tries to say, like the Democrats right now, you know, Barack Obama is trying to say, oh, the Republicans obstruct us every, everywhere we go. We tried to get some things done, but they, they obstructed my jobs bill and they wouldn't let me pass my health care bill. You got your health care bill passed. Your own party was disappointed in your health care bill. It's totally watered down. It's not even what you promised the American people. You said you'd get, a, get us out of Iraq, you didn't. You said you'd cut the deficit in half, you didn't. You said you'd stop spending like you did. No, you didn't do that. He gave us a, a watered-down health care bill that does nothing except inconvenience small businesses. Congratulations. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, doctors, small-time doctors. Congratulations. Congratulations on that, Barack Obama. So both the Republicans and the Democrats are equally to blame for the problems that we have right now. I mean, we could go back further. We could go back to the 90s. Listen, I don't even want to get into it. You know the history. I mean, if you're really honest about it and if you really look it up, you know that both parties have engaged in this sort of thing. Both parties, they do not have your best interest at heart. They are bought and paid for by corporate America. Now, I'm not saying that every Democrat and every Republican is bad and every single one of them it does not have your best interest at heart. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the majority, though, the majority that are currently in Washington are bought and paid for, both parties. And that's why their, their platforms can be very different. And sure, they're both taking us down the road to doom. It's just one of them's in one lane and the other's in another lane. But we're both, both of them still go down the, the road to doom. Sure, the Republicans, they want to get involved in your bedroom. They want to tell you uh, what you can and can't do sexually and what you can and can't do with a child and, you know, an abortion and all that and who you can and can't marry. But the Democrats tell you what you can and can't eat. 
They tell you, they tell businesses whether or not they can have smoking in their establishments. So you see, they both want to rein you in. They just want to rein you in in a different way. They want to make sure that, you know, you get molested when you go to the airport. This is, again, both parties. They have both done domestic spying. Spying on American citizens. Proven. This isn't stuff that's just being made up by the wacko conspiracy theorists. I mean, if we really wanted to get into it, we could talk about the conspiracy theorist stuff, too. Which I don't know if I buy into all that. But this is all stuff that is known. It's all stuff that is done out in the open. Bills that are passed. Sure, the Republicans, you know, they let you have a few more guns. Sure, the Democrats, you know, they're okay, you can get an abortion. Yeah, they let you have a few things. They throw you a few nuggets here and there. But really, they're both corporate entities. And if you don't believe me, look, you can, you can always check it out for yourself. Barack Obama, a big campaign con- contributor. Goldman Sachs. Some of the people that got us in this economic disaster that we're in right now. And you say, oh, well, during the Barack Obama administration, we've had job growth. All right. All right, smart guy. Well, last Friday, the jobs report came out. 96,000 new jobs were created in the month of August. And you might say, well, that's that's not bad. 96,000 jobs. That's something. Better than losing jobs. Except for the fact that the unemployment rate went down. It went down to 8.3%. From 8.3%. So it went down a tenth of a percent. But it's a misleading statistic because like 300,000 people dropped off the labor force. So therefore, if you factor that in, that means that, yes, the unemployment rate went down because people dropped off the labor force. People gave up looking for work. People stopped collecting unemployment. They're no longer on the on the dole. So, of course, it looks like unemployment's going down. 96,000 jobs created. Yeah. According to the Department of Labor, 89 million Americans are not part of the labor force. That's the highest number in United States history. And it is happening under the watch of Barack Obama and the Republican House of Representatives and a Democrat-controlled Senate. So you see, both parties are responsible for the mess that we're in right now. And you can't tell me any different. Sure, when they have their conventions, they can have all their fancy speeches, their flowery speeches. The lady from Michigan, the, the former governor, she can just melt down and scream and yell. And Bill Clinton can try and lay it out for you about how, uh, you know, gee, uh, you're doing so much better today than you were four years ago. Are you? Because the only thing I see that's better today than it was four years ago is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the stock market, which really lends credibility to the fact that corporate America is doing better. But is average Joe Q citizen doing better? No. If more people are out of the labor force, that means more people are without jobs, which means if corporate America is still doing well, that means overseas jobs are still going up. Outsourcing is still going up. So more people are without a job here in the U.S. But hey, a few of the top end corporations are still doing great because, well, because they are. Because the rules are set up for them to do well. Because guess what? They control the pup. They, they control the strings of the Democrat and Republican Party, at least for the most part. Again, not every representative in, in either party is controlled by these people. But there is a huge amount That certainly are. And you need only follow the money. Look at who contributes to their campaigns. And you will see very clearly. 
So this is why I am trying to make my case to you right now, the American people. I am trying to tell you that there is an alternative to this Republican, Democrat, zero, one, left, right nonsense. And it's so frustrating because I get into discussions with people. There's a few people I know, even a couple people that are friends of mine, that they will go and vote for Barack Obama or they'll go and vote for Mitt Romney and they'll use this argument. Well, we have a two-party system and that's all we have right now. And, you know, we can look at amending it in the years to come, but right now we need to just worry about uh, voting for the lesser of two evils. Really? Because this is where my pitch comes in. To me, there's a clear alternative, and that is Gary Johnson, who's running on the libertarian ticket. And I know. I know. Right now, if I called into a mainstream talk show, either a Republican or Democrat, uh, you know, a progressive talk show, if any one of those, I would be hung up on right now. They say, oh, no, <laughs> you're one of those. Do you know, I mean, look, I don't sit here and often stump for the libertarian candidate. I, I vote for the libertarian candidates. I I'll tell you that they're the best candidate typically because they are. I'll never snow you on who the best. If I thought Mitt Romney was the answer, I would tell you to go and vote for Mitt Romney. But he's not. He's just as bad as Barack Obama. Probably worse. I don't know. But he's as bad for sure. And that Paul Ryan that's running with him is, is just, the guy couldn't tell the truth if you asked him what color the sky was and you wrote it down for him. There's no way he can tell the truth. He lies about everything. And he's an idiot to boot. More on that later. But uh, the problem is, um, you have Gary Johnson, who actually was a governor of the state of New Mexico, elected two, con two consecutive terms, managed to, first of all, he vetoed almost every piece of legislation that came before him until the legislature got it right. He was one of the few governors that consistently ran the state in the black, which is more than I can say for most of this country right now. And frankly, the guy knows how to run businesses. He's been a successful businessman. Yeah, I know Mitt Romney claims to as well, but unlike Mitt Romney, the ones that Gary Johnson's been running, they don't go in the toilet. They don't go bankrupt. They actually continue to have people working at them. Now, I know Gary Johnson is one of these dudes. Nobody really knows about him. I mean, yeah, if you live in the state of New Mexico, you know all about him. And maybe a few libertarians outside of that. But he's not, he's not a popular name, not a household name. I will say this. For once, the libertarians actually have a candidate that's smart, that's articulate, that has a good personality. And typically, look, the libertarian candidates are, are good people. I think a lot of them are even smart people. Look, I thought uh, Wayne Allen Root and Bob Barr were, were smart people. But they weren't electable individuals. I think Gary Johnson's actually electable because he's been elected. He was the governor of the state of New Mexico. Two terms. And he was elected in a state that's two to one Democrat. So I think the choice to me is, is quite clear. Look, I understand the libertarian road is the road that we've never gone down in this country for the most part. Yeah, there's a couple of offices and a couple of places. Ron Paul is pretty much a libertarian. But look, for the most part, I know that it's not something that we've done in this country. But as I try to explain to the friends of mine that say, oh, it's a two-party system and you got to vote one or the other or you're just not really, you don't matter, you don't count, blah, blah, blah. As I tell you, you're driving down the road and there's a lot of different directions ahead of you. You can either go the typical left road or the typical right road. And you know that both of those roads lead you off the cliff to your impending doom. 
Or you can take one of these side roads that no one else has really taken before. You don't really know what's going to happen, but you do know that it's not your impending doom right away. It's a road that no one's really traveled down, and yet people will just continue to choose to go over the cliff of the left or the right road. They'll just choose that Republican, Democrat, that same red and blue Kool-Aid. They'll just continue to choose that until it kills them. And it is killing this country. Make no mistake, when you have a country that's $16 trillion in debt and that spends and spends and spends and engages in two wars still, and we have half of our annual budget goes to defense spending, and again, I have no problem with the military. I think any nation needs to have a military to protect its sovereignty. But to have a hundred, what are we? I think we're in 170 countries around the world. Almost every country in the world, we have at least one military base. They don't want us there. Most of these countries, they don't want us there. They'd love us to just get the hell out. We have bases in Germany and France and Japan and Sweden and Denmark. I mean, we have them everywhere. Military bases everywhere. And I think it's time somebody takes a look at this at this budget and they start making some serious cuts to the military and, you know, just all these ridiculous areas where we spend so much money. And I know in this country we spend a lot on education. Per capita, we spend the second most of any nation on education. What has it gotten us? Pay attention. Striking teachers in Chicago pay very close attention. You know what it's gotten us? It's gotten us 20th in math and science. We're a laughingstock. Japan and China, the United Kingdom, Australia, France, Germany, all these countries are ahead of us in math and science, education, in most standards. We used to be number one. We aren't anymore. And that's the, that's the two-party system for you. And I'll tell you what, Thomas Jefferson, our forefathers warned against the two-party system or against a, you know, anything like what we have right now. They foretold of this nonsense. Thomas Jefferson also warned against having standing armies in peacetime. That's something else that should be noted, but that's another topic for another day. But I'm trying to appeal to you right now. I'm not saying go out and cast a vote for Gary Johnson necessarily. I mean, I, I think you should. But I'm saying, think about the Republican and Democrat Kool-Aid you've been drinking all these years. Think about the one and zero mentality that you've had all of these years. And look at where the country is at right now. Most Americans say the country is headed in the wrong direction. Whether you approve of the way the president is handling the country right now or you don't, whether you approve of, of Congress, whether you approve of Republicans or Democrats, most people will tell you that we are headed in the wrong direction. Republicans and Democrats approved of NAFTA and CAFTA and all those other bad trade agreements that we are now locked into, where we have a huge trade deficit. Mexico gets all the benefit of, of NAFTA. We send them stuff, we get nothing. We operated a huge trade deficit as a result. Congratulations. And you know who warned against that? Ross Perot. Nutty little Ross Perot was out there warning against NAFTA all those years ago. A third-party candidate, I should point out. He was warning against NAFTA. Remember that big CNN debate back in, what was it, like 1994 that he had with uh, Al Gore? And Al Gore sits up there, and actually, he looks at Larry King, and he says, This is a good deal, Larry. This, this is a good deal for the United States. 
And Ross Perot said, you know, he's got his pie charts out. And I know he's boring the hell out of the most people and they don't understand what he's pointing at and what that pie chart means. But he, if you would have listened to him, he's, well, right now, now, you know, Mr. Gore here, he's more mixed up than a feather in a whirlwind. I'll tell you what, right now, he's about as sharp as a bowling ball. Now, you think that we gonna, we're going we getting hornswoggled on this day of this, this NAFTA. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Larry. Now, now, look at, now, look at here. Now, this pie chart, they're going to show you that we are going to be so far in debt, we're going to be up to our eyeballs. We're going to be shoveling it. Uh, we're going to need uh, we're gonna need the tractors and forklifts to dig ourselves out of this debt. Tell you what, right now, uh, he, he was absolutely right. That nutty, big-eared midget, Ross Perot, was absolutely right. And we should have been listening to him back then. Don't just discount somebody because they're a third party. They're not participating in your one versus zero, your Democrat versus Republican game. Because uh, people that are out there, the, the third party candidates like that, the Gary Johnsons of the world, the, to, to some extent, the Ron Pauls of the world, locally here in Arizona, the Barry Hess type people of the world, they have a lot to contribute. They have a lot to say and they have very good ideas. And I'll tell you, uh, I think it's, I think this country, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that there will come a point where this country starts embracing a third party libertarian or, or constitutional party or whatever. We start embracing, I mean, the Tea Party movement got some pull, but you know, it's just a radical faction of the Republicans. I, I don't want to say radical, that, that sort of implies a, a negative connotation, but it's just a, a different branch of the Republican Party. I really, really want you to think about this. I mean, I was out with family the other night. And, you know, I'm the libertarian. My brother is the, is the Democrat. He's, you know, Mr. Obama supporter. I think still, I, I think he's still cool with Obama. He's Mr. Liberal. My mom and her boyfriend, Charlie, are, um, they're both Republicans, registered Republicans. I, and I know that they're both going to go vote for Romney. I mean, as much as I try to talk them out of it, as much as they even acknowledge that Republicans have screwed us up and that George W. Bush, you know, nice guy. And I, I think George W. Bush was a nice guy. And I read his book. And I mean, look, cool dude. All right. Love to just sit around and chat and, and, and I don't know, have a beer. I mean, he doesn't drink. I don't know. Maybe he's hit the sauce again since he's been out of the White House. I don't know. But you'd love to have a beer with the guy. But I look, he he didn't want to be president. He shouldn't have been president. Barack Obama shouldn't have been president. This country needs a different direction. And Republican and Democrat politics has gotten us into this mess. I mean, really think about it. What good things have either party brought to the table, especially in the last two decades? Yeah, you could say, okay, maybe during the Clinton administration, there was some welfare reform and the budget got balanced, although the budget was only balanced because of the dot-com boom and all the revenue that was generated as a result of that. So I can give the Republicans and the Democrats at least a little bit of credit for it, but mostly that was generated by the, the huge explosion of dot-com sites, all these places that had insane revenue. And speculation on Wall Street, they never generated an actual penny, and yet they were valued at hundreds and, I don't know, $100 million, three, five, seven hundred million dollars without ever having actually sold a damn thing. And of course, that eventually, that bubble eventually burst around the end of the Clinton administration and the start of the Bush administration. Nonetheless, the budget was at least partially, sort of, kind of balanced back then. But now... 
I mean, we're so far in it with these programs and this war, these two wars, and uh, just this misappropriation of funds. We've got a serious problem that we need to address here. And I ask you, when you go to the polls in November, you got to stop voting for the Democrat and Republican candidate. I am appealing to your sense of reason, your sense of logic as you, the American people. Uh, And I know I do this every few years. and I do this actually even more often than that. But I really need you to just stop, please. All right. Moving from that subject, um, because I know I I might just be spinning my wheels, but I, I feel that I'm at least somewhat obligated to try, right? Moving from that, I just want to touch on this teacher strike issue that's going on in Chicago. Now, I know you have 400,000 students that are being affected by this massive strike. The teachers union, they've gone on strike. They are picketing outside of area schools and uh, district headquarters in the city of Chicago. Uh, the, the place has been gridlocked. At least areas have been gridlocked because of protesters, because of um, the, uh, the picket line and all this that's going on. And I know, at least in part, I, I do agree, I understand where the teachers are coming from. I mentioned this off the top of the show, that I know that they want smaller class sizes. And I'm all right with that. And I think that there's there's got to be a discussion. But that's not something that's going to be resolved tomorrow or the next day or the next week. Smaller class sizes, that's something that takes years. You have to build the infrastructure for it, which we sadly have not been doing in this country. We don't have more schools to house these students. We don't have more places to put the students. We... we we don't have a means. We don't have more teachers available. But, I mean, that wasn't their only problem. They're, they also walked away from a 16% pay increase. The teachers in Chicago are the highest paid teachers in the country, making an average, average of $76,000 a year. I mean, that's a good chunk of change to be a teacher. I know it's a tough job. Listen, I was with a teacher for several years. I know that it's a tough thing. She worked very, very hard. It's a thankless, tireless job where you have to deal with the politics of the school board and the parents and the students. It's a tough balancing act. It is a difficult job. But $76,000 on average and you're turning away from a 16% pay increase and more benefits? Really? And I know that the big sticking point and the part where the teachers union and myself really part company, though, not just the pay increase that they turned away, but the part that the teachers are, are objecting to the most is that they don't want to be evaluated based on student performance. Wow. They don't want their jobs to be in the hands of how their students perform on tests because that would be part of the standard of how teachers, you know, get their jobs or retain their jobs is how students are performing. Well, I don't know. If your job is to teach and you're not doing a good job teaching, then you shouldn't be teaching anymore. I mean, that's this, you know, if if I am a server at a restaurant and my job is to bring you your food and I don't bring you your food and I'm rude to you and I'm a bad server, I probably shouldn't have my job anymore. If my performance is based on how the customers see me and, and if they complain or whatever, that should be the standard. So if I'm a teacher and I'm not teaching properly... Now, look, I get it. I know that it's tougher to teach in an inner city school, and I know that there are confounding variables. And I'm not saying that how a student performs on a standardized test should be the sole 
uh, a criteria used to evaluate your performance. I understand that. But it, you've got to have some standard. You've got to be able to evaluate teacher performance based on at least some various criteria. And that's got to be one of them. How students are performing. How many students are passing. How many students are able to pass a, a state test or a standardized nationwide test. They've got to be able to perform at least at X level or else you're not teaching them properly. You're not preparing them properly. Or at least you're partially to blame. I know that there are bad parents. I know that there are kids that you know have issues. I understand there are confounding variables. But if you're a teacher and you know 90% of the students in your class can't read or write, that's probably an indication that you're a terrible teacher. Probably, you know, and I mean, uh, I, I to say that you don't want that, you don't want any performance based evaluation to have any say over whether or not you retain your job. Boy, oh boy, that's hard to sell. That's hard to sell. So we're just supposed to assume that you're doing your best to, to teach these kids. You're not just going in there and mailing it in every day because I can tell you right now from my experience in the public education system that you there were teachers that tried very hard and then there were teachers that mailed it in every single day and you knew who they were. They would sit there and, as, you know, students were talking and they, they wouldn't even make an effort to calm them down. So that what they would do is they just sit at the back of the room and just let the students do whatever the hell they want. You know, they could sit there, they could do what whatever they pleased. The students, the inmates ran the asylum as it were. In the public education system, in some places. And then other teachers were great. So the, the point here is to try and separate the great teachers, the good teachers, from the bad. But the, the teachers union, of course, they don't want any part of that because they want to be able to, you know, if, if they have teachers that are getting kind of up in their years and they're just running out the clock till retirement, they just want to be able to sit in the classroom and just, you know, be a glorified babysitter for the last couple of years of their uh, of their time there. And I'm again, don't get me wrong, not saying that all you teachers that are 60 and 65 and 70 years old that you're just mailing it in. Most of you aren't. I would say the overwhelming majority of teachers are, are, are good, if not excellent. But you have to admit, if you're a teacher, you know that there are people that are in your profession that are not giving 100%. And they're not doing their best. And when these standardized tests come around, yeah, their students don't perform as well because they don't put in the effort. You know what they say? Garbage in, garbage out. I had a few bad teachers while I was in the public education system. I would say maybe three or four, and then I had a couple more in college, and that's just how it was. That's that's the deal. I would say the overwhelming majority were either mediocre, good, or excellent, but there were. There were a few bad ones, and then there were a few bad substitute teachers also, and most of them were good, but the thing is, what I think uh, a lot of us are just trying to do is weed out the bad ones. In a country where we are lagging behind the rest of the world in literacy, in math, in science, in just critical thinking in general, this is something that's going to hurt us in the long run. Yeah, the smart are still smart, but we have more and more of the, well, let's just put it nicely, the not-so-smart, the dull-witted. We have more and more of that. The derps. We have, a, we, we have a lot more herp derps running around these days than we used to have. You know, the, the, we need to raise the bar. 
We need to be on the right side of the bell curve in this country, like we used to be. We used to be number one math and science performance. We used to put out the top kids, the smartest kids. We're not even close to that anymore. Yeah, we have a few. We have a few top shelf kids. But not like we used to have. Our education system used to be the pride of the world, and now it's just sort of, eh, the U.S., you know, their education is, eh, you know, whatever. You might, you might get a good education. You might not. Depends on where you go to school. Depends on what kind of teacher you have. Depends on where it is, you know, what part of the country, et cetera. So the teachers union, they really need to shore this up and understand that you're going to have to be evaluated based on some type of criteria. And I would say that at least part of it should be how your students are doing on tests. No question about it. All right. Well, we probably should take a break here. I still have so much more stuff to get to. I've got mountains of things in the Michael Grav Show stupid news file. Maybe I should just sort of jump on over to that. It's been a crazy day. Man, if you had a site with GoDaddy, if you if you were registered with GoDaddy today, you probably spent most of the day down. Yeah. Apparently some hacker got into the GoDaddy system and uh, took down uh, their site for quite a while, uh, their service. GoDaddy says that none of the information, none of your personal information was compromised, though, which, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, that hacker, he probably just went in there and decided to take down the sites, never bothered to look at any personal information, credit card information, because, as you know, that never happens, whatever you say. Oh, one more thing before I take this break. <laughs> I, I saw this. This is great. So, uh, as you know, with uh, the Obama numbers bouncing in the polls here after the Democratic National Convention, he did get a little bit of a bounce. And now, as we mentioned earlier, the poll numbers are sort of drifting back. And, and you know, the, the whole thing, I think most every poll, Romney is trailing by about three to five points. Nonetheless, this has not stopped. The usual thing that happens just before a presidential election in this country, especially the last several elections, Gun sales are once again going through the roof. Gun stores, they're running out of supplies again. They're running out of guns. They're, the, the guns, they're having to manufacture yet more guns and get more guns because people are just buying them left and right. What happened to the guns that they bought four years ago? What happened to all those? I guess uh, people are stocking up even more so. Because every election, they always think that this will be the election that the guns get taken away or that uh, at least more restrictions are put on guns. So handguns, assault rifles, shotguns, all of them are, are way, way up. The sales are, uh, there was a gun store in Phoenix. They're saying that their sales were up 100%. That's unbelievable. Wow. Other places are saying that uh, their, their sales are up uh, 10, 20, 30 percent, some places even more so. So uh, sales are again ramping back up. And as we get closer and closer to the election, and, and I got to tell you, when Barack Obama probably wins this thing, and I, I haven't made my official prediction yet, but I just have this feeling that that's sort of the direction that we're heading in. You know that right after he's elected, oh, man, those sales, boom, they're going to go through the roof, doubling, tripling their normal values. So I just thought I'd pass that along. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. And uh, when we come back, I get the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. I got a lot of other stuff. You know how we do. It is the one and only. We're back. I know. 562 days later. Here we are. It's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Taking pot shots at both sides from the radical middle. Ah! 
It's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Silicon chip inside her head gets switched to overload. And nobody's gonna go to school today. She's gonna make them stay at home. And daddy doesn't understand it. He always said she was good as gold. And he can see no reasons Cause there are no reasons What reason do you need to be shown? Whoa, 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 whoa. Tell, Tell me why I don't like Mondays Tell me why I don't like Mondays Tell me why I don't like Mondays I wanna shoot Ooh, 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 ooh. The whole day down With segment number three, it's the zip code famous Michael Grav show. It's been a long time, but we are back. Monday, September the 10th, 2012. Drifting into the wee hours of the morning into uh, basically September 11th, actually. Light right outside right now, ladies and gentlemen, to add 73 degrees. That global warming in effect here in Phoenix. So I, I, I found this, and I, I, what a perfect segue into the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. Except this, this can't be real. But I'm seeing this all over the net. There's uh, a bunch of celebrity IQs have been posted. And I, I can't believe any of this is valid. Let me pull this up here and let's see. All right. So I have a bunch of these celebrity IQs. I I can't believe this. All right, according to this, Madonna has an IQ of 140. What? No. 
That can't be right. No. Then what was her IQ when she decided to do the remake of American Pie? Do we have that? I think we do. Yeah. What was her IQ when she decided this was a good idea? You're saying that genius level intelligence, you can still produce something this stupid. According to this, Lee Harvey Oswald had an IQ of 118. <laughs> That's considered superior intelligence. High average to superior. Alright, Jody Foster has one uh, 132 IQ. John Sununu supposedly has 180. Uh, no. Because according to Stephen Hawking has 160. So you're saying John Sununu has a higher IQ than Stephen Hawking. I know it's all about how you use it. Even someone with average intelligence can do some incredibly smart things. But I'm just saying... Let's see who else is on here. James Woods, his IQ is 180. Well, I know James Woods is actually really smart. So I I know that that's actually accurate. I mean, I don't know how accurate that, but I know that it's got to be up there in that general vicinity. Hillary Clinton has an IQ of 140. No way. Nobody buys that. Gerald Ford, an IQ of 121. He was just very clumsy. George W. Bush has an IQ of 125. Okay, and that's the end of this section. I, I, there's no way we can continue. There's no, George W. Bush, an IQ of... That's uh, not right for America. Okay, I'll continue. Hang on. I don't know who some of these people are, so I'm just going to skip over some of the... Bobby Fischer, an IQ of 187. Uh, Bill Gates, an IQ of 160. Okay, now, you know, I can, all right, that I can buy. Uh, Sharon Stone, an IQ of 154. No way. Uh, Paul Allen, an IQ of 160. He's the, uh, he's, you know, the big computer dude. John F. Kennedy, era, IQ of 119. Quentin Tarantino, 160. Reggie Jackson, 160. Nicole Kidman, an IQ of 132. Muhammad Ali had an IQ of 78. (laughs) Well, that I'd believe. It was probably a lot higher before he started getting the crap punched out of his head every night. I try not to curse. I still still maintain that. I, I try not to curse on my show. I saw one that just... Floored me though. Hang on. Shakira has an IQ of 140, according to this. All right, that's that's the worst of them all. <sighs> has anybody ever listened to Shakira speak? I know that she's all right to look at, at least she used to be. But as soon as she opens her mouth, you know it's a disaster. It's a train wreck. She came here, she spoke on our immigration issues. Clearly, she had no idea what was going on with that. 
I'm sorry, but 140, just so those of you have an understanding. 90, 90 to 110. Like, so anyway, so if you have an IQ of about 90 to 110, that's average intelligence. 100 is considered like right down the middle. And then uh, 111 to 120 is considered superior. 121 to 130 is very superior. 131 to one to 140 is considered um, gifted. And then above 140, you're genius and then so on and so forth. And then going the other way, 80 to 89, dull-witted or dull. And then there's uh, mild retardation or then there's severe retardation below like 51. Yeah. With lyrics like that, you've got to be a genius. Lucky for my breasts are small and humble so you don't confuse them with mountains. That's definitely 140 IQ material right there. Gary Kasparov, according to this, has an IQ of 190. Again, uh, Andy Warhol had an IQ of 86. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold, an IQ of 135. Benjamin Netanyahu, an IQ of 180. Where do they... Bill Clinton, 137. Where do they... There's no way. I don't believe this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for wasting your time with this. I'm just going to move on. So this... Here's a guy that definitely doesn't have an IQ above 100. And that's... That is the esteemed senator from New York, Charles Schumer. The Democrat senator from the state of New York who... The same state that has brought you restrictions on trans fat, salt, and even rationing baby formula because it's unhealthy for, for children, supposedly unhealthy for babies, according to Michael Bloomberg. From that same state, Senator Charles Schumer is now going after everyone's favorite nemesis, laundry detergent. At a Sunday press conference calling for stricter rules on concentrated laundry detergent pod packaging that some children have mistaken for candy. New York Democratic Senator Charles Schumer admitted that even he has felt to down a few detergent pods himself. Quote, the incidents are skyrocketing, the New York Daily News reported Schumer said during a joint press conference with medical professionals. Quote, these pods were supposed to make household choices easier, not tempt our children to swallow harmful chemicals. I saw one of my staffers I saw one of my staffers desk and wanted to eat it. If you see if you see a package of laundry detergent sitting on someone's desk and you think it's food, you're the problem, not the manufacturers of the laundry detergent. Also, I don't even believe that for a second. Oh, on my staffer's desk there was some laundry detergent. Yeah, what do they do? They they bring their their laundry to to the congressional offices to wash because that sounds believable. According to Schumer, during the last six months, 40 New York children have been the victim of these pods, mistaking them for food, only to end up hospitalized. He added that by the end of June, there had been 1,210 nationwide instances of children eating detergent packs. Is he serious? He's serious, I think. The New York senator who added, quote, 
I don't know why they make them look so delicious. Called on the Customer Product Safety Commission to impose tighter regulations on the packaging for the colorful one-time-use laundry detergents. So now we're going after laundry detergent because according to Charles Schumer of, of the state of New York, it looks delicious. Children are just gobbling up laundry detergent left and right. They just can't keep their hands off the stuff. It's just flying down their throats. So many kids are dying due to laundry detergent. We need stricter regulation. He's serious. That's not, I didn't read that from The Onion. That's an actual news story. It's a, the New York Daily News. <laughs> I'm serious. Unreal. Where are the parents of all these children that are downing laundry detergent? You know that just about anything that's in the hands of a, of a small child that, that could be consumed. So, you know, there's bleach. Well, you know, like Clorox, too, is in a very colorful container. And uh, and and Fab and, and all these other detergents. Uh, not just, um, what else? Yeah, Windex. Windex kind of looks nice. It's all clear and stuff. It's, it's bubbly. You could drink that. So why, why stop at detergent? Why not just uh, get cracked down on all of these chemicals, all household products? Formula 409. Yeah, absolutely. You can't make this stuff up, folks. You really can't. So that's the next thing we're going after. So, uh, oh, here's a great story. The, the Tampa Bay Rays. Don't worry, I'm, this isn't a sports talk topic. I know some of you get very upset when we talk too much sports. B.J. Upton of the Tampa Bay Rays, he had a great day on Sunday. He hit three home runs for the first time in his career. He had a, he had a fantastic game. He hit three home runs for the Rays, and they wound up beating the Rangers. So he was going along having a fantastic day, and then he lost his wallet. And then something very unexpected happened. Apparently, he was on Twitter one of his fans or a fan of the Rays posted that he found B.J. Upton's wallet. So uh, the guy's name is Brent Sutton. According to the story, a tweet was sent. The wallet was returned. And uh, Brent Sutton, for his trouble, got a souvenir bat in return. And B.J. Upton was quoted as saying, Twitter isn't all bad after all. Imagine that. You find a ball player's wallet. You find B.J. Upton's wallet. See, that's a positive story. We finally, you know, we've been uh, doing this show for quite a while, and it's about time we start mixing in more positive stories. Finally, uh, you know, I thought for sure that the punchline was going to be, and he found his wallet and all the money and credit cards were gone. Or some dude ran around the Tampa Bay area claiming to be BJ Upton for about three or four days and got lots and lots and lots of sex as a result. That's what I figured the story was going to say. But no, actually, his wallet was returned. Everything was intact. Fantastic. See, I told you, people in Florida, they were nice people. If you dropped your wallet in, uh, if you dropped your wallet in L.A., you could forget it. You better hope one of those Dodger players, especially like Hanley Ramirez, you better hope you don't ever drop your wallet in the middle of Los Angeles. You're not getting that back. Well, I guess if you hit three home runs in the game, they might give it back to you. But if you went like over five with three strikeouts in the game, forget it. They're keeping your wallet. <laughs> I guess because BJ Upton hit three home runs. So he's had it's been it's been an up and down season for BJ. If he had struck out three times in the game, you can you can bet that dude would have probably gone out to dinner on BJ.
We talked about this, you know, with uh, with the likelihood of President Obama being reelected. Gun sales are way up, but that's not the only thing that's being sold. A hardware store in Kentucky is offering the chance to take out your frustrations on the likelihood of Obama being reelected by purchasing a punching bag with his likeness on it. Yeah, this mom and pop hardware store says that you can buy this punching bag. It has a picture of Barack Obama on it with a black eye. He's depicted as a, as a boxer. But Democratic strategist Matt Angle says all the store owner is looking for is attention. Quote, he clearly is not very smart. He's asking for controversy. Maybe that's what he wants. He told this to KTRH. Stout says that that's not the case. He told KTRH that he's looking uh, to make people laugh. And that the reaction from customers has varied. Stout says, quote, business people like a punch at him. People come in and hug him. It's been both sided. Stout says that he doesn't understand why people are getting so worked up over a toy. Quote, it's just a comical thing. We all have a right to our opinion. I'm okay with it, Stout says. Not everyone sees the humor in it, though. Quote, it's just not funny, Engel said, particularly when you've got so much animus that's exposed toward President Obama and other elected officials. I think it's hilarious. I don't care what you say. A punching bag that depicts President Obama. What's his IQ on the celebrity IQ test? You know who the real punching bag is, though, really? The real punching bag in that hardware store should be the American people. It should just be the U.S. Because we've been the punching bag to the Republicans and the Democrats. I'm not going to get back on that. I I already made my case, but I'm just telling you that we're the real punching bag here, the tax-paying citizens. That's who the punching bag should be. Yeah, I do, though. I wonder what what, uh, Barack Obama's IQ is on the celebrity IQ chart. Sure, it's there somewhere. If George W. Bush is at a 125, and I know that he's not as stupid as everyone portrays him to be, but still, a 125? Really? I mean, if he's at 125, I, I do wonder what President Obama would be on. They say Bill Clinton was, what did they say he was? 137? John F. Kennedy, 119. And Muhammad Ali down there representing at 78. I wonder what his IQ was after about 1975. Like after he retired and the, the real effects of all those punches to the head set in, his IQ must have been what? About toaster? Waffle iron perhaps? Somewhere, somewhere down in that level? The guy couldn't even tie his shoes anymore. Yeah. Muhammad Ali had an IQ of brand muffin. That's how that went. Punches to the head. They'll do it every time, I'll tell you. All right. I'm never going to get past the Shakira 140 thing. Shakira and Madonna at 140. I'm going to be stuck on that the rest of the day. They didn't have Ronald Reagan up there. They didn't have George H.W. Bush. Al Gore. Those I would have liked to have seen. All right. Well, anyway, that's it. Uh, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Groff Show. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. At Michael Groff on Twitter. 
And um, just the million ways to get in touch with us. Of course, the one, the only MichaelGroff.com is the other place to go. For everything else Michael Groff related, sign up for the podcast, sign up for the stuff. Keep an eye on the site. I, I swear we're not going to go this long between now and our next show. And if we do, well, then there's probably something. Either, either I will win the lottery tomorrow or I don't know. Or something else catastrophic will happen in my personal life. And at, at that point, I wouldn't probably be doing another show. All right. I don't know. How did this, this, this felt pretty good. I felt pretty good in this. Um, now I'm going to be like the White House. I'm going to be like President Obama and give myself a grade on this show. Um, pre- what did President Obama give himself? An incomplete, and then he changed it to a B plus, and I don't know. If he can give himself a B plus on that administration, I should be getting like an A triple plus. I don't know. I think it's a, a good solid B. Why not? I'm in a giving mood. I'm going to give myself a solid B. All right. We will see you tomorrow or later today or something for another exciting edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grob Show. Have a great one, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking back in with us. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.